do that. Okay, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. If you're interested in hearing any of the messages preached at Sparrow, um, uh, the Sunday morning 11 o'clock sermon, Sermon Audio has an app. You can listen to them for free. It should also be on any of the podcast players, whether it's Apple or Google or whatever it may be. So they should be on there. And if you need help, um, ask Braden. Okay. Um, are you spirit controlled? Do you have the Holy Spirit? How do you know? We're going to look at a passage of scripture where the spirit came down on the church in power for the first time ever. And this is one of those passages where people can either dismiss it or they can dig into it. Some people try to relive it completely, verse by verse. They completely try to relive it. And we want to talk about the Holy Spirit today. We want to talk about how the Spirit empowered the church in order to be a witness of the resurrected Christ. But we also want to apply this in a practical way to our lives. So we're going to look at, now this is a long chapter, Acts chapter 2, and it goes all the way to verse number 47. This is all one event. So we understand right away, we're going to break this up into three sections. The next, next week, we'll talk about Peter's sermon. Peter's going to preach a big sermon here about Christ. We'll, we'll deal with that. And then the next one, we'll talk about the results of that sermon. But first of all, we're just going to talk about kind of what happens before the sermon. Okay. And this is the topic uh, covered here where we're talking about the, 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 the church was empowered on this particular day. We're going to look at Acts chapter number one. And verse one says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth 
this. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for an opportunity to be in your house, to worship you with your people. Thank you for the song service. Thank you for blessing that. God, I pray in the name of Jesus now as we come before you that you would help me as I preach. Forgive me of sin in my heart. Cleanse me of that. Fill me with your spirit. Use me, I pray. God, if there is someone here today that has never heard a clear presentation of the gospel, or perhaps they've never accepted you as their savior, move them towards that step. I pray they would take that step today. God, perhaps there's someone here today that's confused about the Holy Spirit. I pray they would have clarity today. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as we deal with this passage. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There was a pastor, the story goes, who in his auditorium, they had a thermostat in the back of the auditorium. That, and by the way, this is a thermostat. How many of you guys knew that was the thermostat? And some of you, maybe you're so young, it's like, I've only seen the digital ones. Where are the lights? Why doesn't it light up? Okay. This is an old school thermostat. You just kind of just barely just kind of wiggle it a little bit. And I don't know about you, but like when I was a kid, man, I would get in big trouble. If I ever thought for any reason that I, as a child of the household, had the authority to mess with the thermostat, whoo, big, big, big trouble. So there was this pastor that had this auditorium and, uh, you know, they, they, they had the thermostat in the back, in the, on, on the back wall and every person who came in, it seemed like, you know, not everyone did it, but it, feel, it felt like every person who came in would try to set it to their own preference. <sighs> he got frustrated. So he kept it there, but he unplugged it. And then he installed a new thermostat in his office where he could control the real temperature of the building, but he kept up the old one. It didn't work. People continued to come in and everybody continued to mess with the thermostat. They, they kept on messing with it and saying, oh, I would like it you know, a couple of degrees colder, a couple of degrees warmer. Unbeknownst to them, even though they were still, in their minds, they were still in control. There was someone behind the scenes that was really in control. Guys, when we approach Acts chapter number two, we see in a new way in history, the Holy Spirit comes into the church and what happens when he has control. You think, oh no, he's going to try to teach us to speak in tongues. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to, but we're going to ask that question. What is happening here? What is going on? We have to remember, first of all, that Jesus had just ascended up into heaven 10 days earlier. Let me just read a few scriptures as we kind of enter into this passage and we kind of have a mindset here. We need to understand here that God does not change. God does not change. But when we read the Bible, the way he deals with human beings does change. That is a big word we call dispensations or just kind of like an economy, right? 
And the Bible teaches us in Hebrews 1 and verses 1 and 2, God, who at sundry times or various times and in divers manners, various manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. The idea that God deals with human beings in various, in, in various ways throughout time comes from scripture itself. That is not something that we read into the scripture. That is something scripture teaches us. But keeping that in mind, we can also see in two passages, I'm just going to read these for you. Exodus 3, 13 and 14, God is talking to Moses. Moses is talking to God. It says, and Moses said unto God, behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, the God of your fathers hath sent me unto you and they shall say to me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. This is a name of God that God is giving unto Moses to go and tell the children of Israel, I am that I am. And he said, God said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Going back to our little thermostat thing here. We're talking about the Holy Spirit and we're talking about God. We're talking about the church. And we as human beings, if we talk about God in this kind of ambiguous, mysterious way, we can kind of set him and make him what we want him to be. There's so much of that going on in this world today. Every sermon you hear is therapeutic. Oh, it makes me feel so much better. But that's not really a balanced approach to scripture. Amen. God wants us to know right away, look, I am what I am. I am that I am. He goes on to say in the book of Malachi, verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 6, For I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. God wants us to know times change, things change. I do not change. I don't change. When we approach the book of Acts, we have to, we have to talk about the fact that this is a transitional book. This is a transitional book. Someone wisely said, we must not take the tragic mistake of teaching the experiences of the apostles, but we must experience the teachings of the apostles. I'll explain this in just a moment. The experience of the apostles is found in the transitional book of Acts. The teachings of the apostles is set forth in the epistles, which are the guide for Christian doctrine today. Now, let me explain what that means. You guys know, if you've come to Sparrow for any length of time, that we always seem to run out of these. I'm speaking along and then all of a sudden. What happened? Batteries are dead. So I went on Amazon and I typed in AA batteries. What's the biggest pack you got? A hundred batteries, praise God. They sent it in a box, and inside that box was another box, 
and inside that box was a bunch of batteries and all these batteries are packaged up in little packages of five. Now I've got a question. What's the most important part of that package? By the way, some of us are addicted to Amazon and we need to calm down. You got Amazon Prime, Amazon Prime and you get free shipping. You go on that app, it can get out of hand. It can get out of hand. And being in Toronto, distribution is right here. I mean, it seems like you just get it, really. Like within 12 hours, it's at your door, right? That was my Amazon rant. How silly would it be for me to take out these batteries? And I've got them. And here they are. And I'm going to, here they are. Oh, I've needed batteries. Oh, what amazing, what amazing thing it is. What, what, what an incredible thing. And now I've got this packaging. Now, listen, is this packaging useful? Was it useful? It was useful. It brought the items to my house in a safe manner so they weren't uh, damaged in transit, right? Very organized, very nice. Here we go. The useful parts are these. This is the useful pieces. I dropped one. There it goes. Yeah, trying to run away. This is no longer useful. Bible study looks at the book of Acts and is able to look at all of the Bible and mostly all of the New Testament and says, this was just for transition from Old Testament to New Testament. These are the sign gifts. These are the ability to do, to do miracles by touching people. This is the ability to touch someone and it rises them from the dead. This is the ability to speak in another language. The Bible says speaking in tongues. We'll talk about this in just a moment. We'll go through it verse by verse. We have to understand there are some awesome, super incredible things that happen in the book of Acts. And as we go through these chapters, but we have to be able to determine this First and Second Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Colossians, and all of the other books in the New Testament. This is the real substance that stays with us and teaches us nowadays Christianity. This is the dispensation or the time period in which we live right now. This is what is important. This is what we're trying to keep. Only a very confused person or someone who uh, is really struggling with Bible interpretation would say, no, 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 no. We still want to keep all of the transitional stuff. We still want to keep tongues. We still want to keep the, the gifts of healing like this. We still want to keep the gift of knowledge where God has given me this, this supernatural intuition and kind of predict the future in your life. The Bible also calls it the, the, the gift of knowledge, but also the gift of prophecy, being able to foretell the future events. All of these things were transition. So as we approach Acts chapter number two, we have to imagine, okay, biblically, theologically, scripturally, I've just got a big Amazon package. A big one. But we have to understand that for longevity's sake, we're not keeping all of it. Does that make sense? Okay. So verse one. Now we're going to go through it and we're going to explain what this is saying. This is a turning point in history. Um... And it says here, first of all, the entrance of the Holy Spirit in verses 1 and 2 
The Holy Spirit came to believers in unity. It says in verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. We're talking about the first church. At this time, there was one church. The church at Jerusalem was the only church that existed. Jesus had his ministry for three and a half years. He died on the cross. He ascended into heaven. And now we have the day of Pentecost. Okay? So Jesus died on Passover. You guys remember that? He died on Passover. From the day of Passover to the day of Pentecost was 50 days. All right? Um, And so he came after he rose from the dead. He showed himself alive for 40 days. And then Pentecost, here comes the promise of the Spirit. So the, the church is all in one place and they're in one accord. They shared a common overriding purpose that was stronger than any differences or disagreements they might have had. Now, let's not just skip forward on this part. This is one of the things that we're supposed to keep is the unity part, the one accord part. We're not supposed to be like, oh, that unity stuff. Yeah, that's just kind of like that's for the recycle bin. No, we're supposed to keep that part. We're supposed to all agree on Jesus. Well, amen. Well, amen. There we go. There it is. We're all supposed to agree about Jesus. We're all supposed to agree. Listen, what was the unity? They were agreeing on Jesus. They're also agreeing about what Jesus said to do. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the spirit. They're all like, yeah, we're going to do that. At the very basic of Christianity, the very, very basic of Christianity, the part we're all supposed to keep as believers in Christ, the part we're supposed to take home, the part that never passes away, we're all supposed to agree on Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. Okay? And we're all supposed to agree on the fact that we're just going to do what he says. Whatever he says, that's what we're going to do. And that way we have a church where we're all in one accord. Now we've got to make the terrible preacher joke that doesn't mean... The Honda car, the Honda Accord. We can't, I see, you guys don't even get it. Right? It's a terrible, terrible joke. It had to be said. It was right there. It means we're going, we are agreeing on the direction. We're all going this way with Christ. That's what it means. It was stronger than any differences or disagreements they might have had. They were focused on prayer and fellowship while they waited. the Holy Spirit came according to his timetable. The Holy Spirit did not appear until the day of Pentecost was fully come. We cannot expect God to work according to our schedule. They didn't know when he was going to come. They just knew what Jesus said. Guys, this is faith. This is the walk of faith. Listen, they walked according to faith, meaning they heard what Jesus said to do and they agreed together. Yeah, this is what we're going to do. That's faith. Faith is hearing God's words and just doing what Jesus says. And then waiting for him to bless in a way that he wants to bless when he's good and ready to bless. That's faith. And we should practice that together. This is a part that that should be. We shouldn't discard that. That's the important part. The word Pentecost means 50th. This was a harvest festival celebrated 50 days after Passover. Pentecost was a feast of first fruits that symbolizes the first fruits of the believer's inheritance. The coming of the Holy Spirit was a surprise. Even though Jesus had promised the Holy Spirit and they knew his coming was imminent, the disciples were not prepared 
for him to come. They, weren't, they didn't know what to expect. They just knew that Jesus promised. This is similar to what scripture tells us will take place at the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, and 3. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as, a, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Let me just say this. Jesus is coming back. If we are a believer, we need to live as if he's coming back at any moment. I heard a story once of a, of a guy that was upset with his boss because his boss, was, unbeknownst to him, was watching him on whether or not he was working on the video camera. He's going about his work, and then his boss was like, hey, are you, are you doing, like, gets the text. And he goes, oh, yeah, right. Invasion of privacy, I don't know. Listen, friend, we cannot see Jesus. We know that there is a date. It can come at any time. We don't need to think, I'll get serious about being a Christian at some future time. The time is now. The time is now. We can see we have that in common with the, the first church. The coming of the Holy Spirit allowed every believer to be filled. The filling of the Holy Spirit was not just restricted to the 12 disciples or apostles and those who would preach the gospel publicly. Every believer in the upper room received the same filling of power for witnessing and for service. Now we're going to talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about what happened here and what we're going to take away from it. There are only five commands related to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. The first one, quench not the Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Ephesians 4.30, grieve not the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit. Jude and verse 20, pray in the Spirit. And Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. Does God ever tell us, be filled with the Spirit and speak in tongues? Does it ever say that? It does not say that. That's not the command. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13 says, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Galatians 3.27, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This is the immersion of your spirit into the spirit of Christ when you decide to trust Christ as your Savior. We are not baptized with the Holy Spirit when we get water baptism. Okay? That's not what the Bible teaches. The moment you place your faith and trust in Christ for your salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and he dwells inside of you. We have a body. We can see it. If you're here, you're in your body, okay? You have a soul, that's your mind, your will, and your emotions, okay? The psyche, you can kind of think of it that way, complicated. Body, soul, and then the spirit. The spirit is the part of us that will live forever. The Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Before we accepted Christ as our savior, the deepest part of us, the truest sense of ourself, the spirit, the part of us that will live forever, the part of us that communicates with God. The Bible says we should worship him in spirit 
and in truth? When people say, oh, I'm a spiritual person, most likely they're not saying spiritual person. They're saying I'm a soulish person, meaning they, they feel things in their, and they think things in their mind, their will, and their emotion. Because to be a truly spiritual person, you're communicating with God. That cannot take place until you have been born again. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, Jesus is God's Son. When we say the Lord Jesus Christ, we mean God Jesus Christ. He is our God. He is the creator of this universe. He's not just a nice guy that died for people to be a good example to humanity in a nonviolent way. Do not ever let anybody compare him to Gandhi. Gandhi did amazing things for India and for South, and for South Africa. But he did not ever save one person from their sin. He certainly did not die for them. And he certainly did not rise from the dead. Amen. Amen. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit revives our spirit. It quickens our spirit. It makes it alive. It brings it back to life. All those stories with Jesus rising the, raising people from the dead and raising himself from the dead. This is proof. This is biblical proof that when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he first raises our spirit. It brings our spirit back to life so that now we can have a relationship with God. Religion does not do that. Baptism does not do that. Saying a nice prayer does not do that. We must have repentance towards God. And faith towards Jesus Christ. That means we have to understand that I am guilty before God because of my sin. That Jesus died on the cross for my sin. He took my place. And that must then change my mind, change my thinking, resulting in a change of heart. Now I'm realizing I'm not good enough to go to heaven on my own. There is no religious deed that I can do ever. That is going to make my spirit come alive so that when I die, my spirit, which is alive, will then go to be with heaven, go to be with God, the father of all spirits in heaven. That's what the Bible calls him. I can't do that. Spirit, life-giving spirit must bring to life our spirit. Baptism, water, how can water bring my spirit to life? It cannot. How can doing a good deed cleanse my spirit and bring my spirit back to life? It cannot. Oh, pastor, I volunteer. Oh, pastor, I give money. Oh, pastor, I work so hard to be a good person. Let me ask very politely, but honestly, how's that working? Do you have peace with God? Or do you always wonder, am I good enough? Which God or goddess is it that I must worship? What, what do they demand that I do? What can I do? Jesus came with good news. Amen. And he said this, there's none good. There's none good. How is that good news? Oh, that's good news. Because if he says there's none good, then that means we're all in the same boat. We are all of us equally broken. We are all of us a living body and we have a soul but all of us, our spirit is dead in trespasses and sins. And there is one who willingly came because of his love for you. 
He died himself on the cross. He took our shame. He took our pain. He took the consequences of our sin. And he paid the debt before the judge of all the earth, the Father. Who is the one that can look at us and say, redeemed? Who is the one that can say, now your spirit is alive. Now you can come to heaven. There's but one, the Father. God the Father. He's the only one that can do that. And Jesus said, I will take all of the sin upon myself and I will die. You see, because Jesus never sinned once in his body, never once in his soul, and never once in his spirit. His spirit was 100% God's spirit, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the Father. And he died on the cross for us. A spiritual transaction took place that day. What is required of us? To have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Remember, as you read through the book of Acts, we're reading transitional stuff. What's required of us is simple faith in Christ. I'm changing my mind about myself and my ability to save myself. You remember that moment? Oh, I've always believed in God. Wrong answer. Always believing it. The devils believe in tremble. The devils believe in tremble. James chapter 2. Well, I've always believed in God. Good. But the devils believe in tremble. Have they ever repented? No. By the way, they can't. Salvation's impossible for them. Christ didn't die for them. He died for you. And he died for me. And when we hear this message, there's something inside of us. It resonates deep. It resonates deep because the God of heaven sent his only son and he loves you. This is not me convincing anyone. This is the spirit of Christ convincing you of the truth. It's a mystery. I can't pretend to understand all of the mechanics of salvation. I believe it by faith and I know it's true from the depths of my soul. Because when I hear the message, there's something that stirs inside. There's something that's pushing me. Scripture is so true. It's so true. It, when, I, when I read it, it's reading me. I'm reading myself. I, I see myself. It's like looking in a mirror. And, and it's like looking in my soul. And it's like looking in a mirror of my spirit. And I see myself. And I see, I see who I want to be. Amen. But I also see that I'm powerless to make myself into this thing that I want to be. And to be the man that I want to be. And to be the husband and the pastor. Excuse me. And the son, I'm powerless to do this, my friends. And Jesus came to give us salvation and to give us the life that he intended for us to have, which is a relationship with God. And that can only happen when we come before him humbly and say, I'm repenting, I'm changing my mind, I'm turning, I'm turning away from myself and I'm turning only to Christ. I'm embracing him fully with all of my heart, calling upon him to save me. Will you save me? And of course, his answer for every person who truly comes to him with an open heart of trust is yes. For God so loved the world. Don't you love that word so? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we are so broken. We are so bad sometimes. We are so confused. We are so disturbed. Look at this world. Look at the headlines. What are we doing to ourselves as human beings? 
Well, listen, we live in a world of so. And we need a God that says, for God so loved the world. Man, that's good news, friend. Accept it with your whole heart. Drink it in like a dying person. Drink in the hope. Drink it in. Gulp it down. Let it rush into the very soul that you have. Accept it fully. Lay aside the doubt. Drink it down and let him change your life. Let him make you into the person that he intended for you to be. He wants to root out the sin and give you a brand new life. Well, I have to become a Baptist. Thankfully, no. You have to become born again. You have to trust Christ as your savior. You're trusting something. We're all trusting something. If if I was to ask you this way, if you were to die today, and this isn't biblical, but just for the sake of understanding, if you were to die today and you were to stand outside heaven and whoever, typically we say Peter, but again, this isn't biblical. This is just a way for us to understand. Why should I let you into heaven? If we honestly from our heart give any reason other than I trusted Jesus and he saved me. I had nothing to give. I called on him to save me from my whole heart. And he said, that's the only answer that gets you in, friend. It's the only answer that changes your life. That's it. That's it. These apostles, they did this. They trusted Christ as their savior. But then Jesus went up to heaven. What's going to happen now? Well, he's going to promise the spirit. And you have to understand this transition from a physical Jesus standing there doing physical miracles to him being gone. And he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What? How does that work? Oh, he said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit and he's going to dwell inside each and every one of you. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon someone for a specific job. King David had the spirit upon him so that he could do his job as a king. The spirit would come upon a prophet so that they could prophesy. When the job was over, the spirit would leave. In the New Testament, he dwells inside of us if we've trusted him as our savior. We can see here the evidences of the spirit coming. It says in verse two, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Now there wasn't a wind, it was a sound of wind. They're sitting inside and they hear a sound of wind. We have to remember this is a one-time event. The emphasis here is the filling of the spirit. These early believers were not waiting for the gift of tongues. You say, well, I know of a church and I know of a thing and I've heard this and I've heard that. Again, it all becomes so clear when we just look at what the Bible says. Don't listen to me. Let's look and see what it says, yeah? There was a sound of a rushing mighty wind. It says it describes cloven tongues of fire. These were not flames of literal fire, but were instead representatives of the spirit resting on all of the believers gathered together. The statement is a simile comparing the appearance of tongues to, excuse me, to flames of fire. And then it says they spoke in other tongues. Notice uh, the Greek word for tongues is what we would what nowadays is translated into dialect. This is where we get the word dialect. 
There is not an example in the Bible of ecstatic speech or a private prayer language. Every time the Bible records an instance of someone speaking in tongues, it always is talking about someone speaking to another person, and that other person is from another place, they don't speak a common language, but they're giving them the gospel. And that person can hear them, and they can understand the gospel. Notice what it says once again in verse number five. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And we can see here that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were began speaking in tongues. And it says in verse 11, we do hear them speak in our tongues, the wonderful works of God. So number one, the tongues they spoke were known languages. Number two, we can see from the Greek word that, that, that the word tongues is a language or dialect. Number three, speaking in tongues was not the normal response to receiving the filling of the Spirit in the New Testament. If we were to take the time and look throughout the book of Acts, Acts 4, Acts 6, Acts 7, and Acts 9, and we see this person was filled with the Spirit, it doesn't necessarily mean they spoke in tongues. It's not described as that. So we shouldn't expect that. Tongues were a, were a sign to unbelievers. The Bible says in 1 uh, Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 14, 21 and 22. In the law, it is written with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign. 1 Corinthians 14, 22. Tongues are for a sign. Tongues are for a sign. Not to them that believe. Look, this one verse destroys the whole tongues movement, guys. Do not let somebody come up to you at work or someone in your family or some associate come up to you and say, have you received the blessing of the Spirit? Yes, because I've been saved. Have you had the gift of tongues yet? No, and neither have you. Oh, that doesn't sound very kind. Listen, I don't think it's kind to take scripture and twist it and confuse people. God, by the way, in context in 1 Corinthians 14, when God describes this very thing, the confusion about tongues, God himself in 1 Corinthians 14 says, God is not the author of confusion. Amen. Let everything be done decently and in order. God does not intend for you to be confused about the gift of tongues, my friends. Because remember, this was the packaging moving from Old Testament to church age, from Jesus in person to the Holy Spirit in dwelling. It's packaging. It was supernatural sign so that people knew, hey, this really is from God. The believers already knew. The unbelievers didn't know. Okay? By the way, every time in the Bible when there's a dispensation and there's a change, supernatural signs. Think about Moses. How many miracles? We take the Ten Commandments and we can learn from them, but we don't say, hey, church, follow me up to the top of Blue Mountain and I'm going to talk to God and we're going to get a new... We don't try to reenact it. I Thank God I don't come to church with a veil over my face. That would be weird. 
well, Moses did that, and so I'm going to do that too. How strange is it for us to sit there and say, well, I'm going to speak in tongues too, because that's what they did in Acts 2. No, that's not what we do. Tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. 1 Corinthians 13, 8, charity, Christian love, agape love, charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, the gift of prophecy, the gift to be able to foretell the future of somebody else, they shall fail. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, the gift of knowledge, it shall vanish away. Tongues have ceased. So, We can see the the list of of nations here that all of these people were from when they were coming and visiting Jerusalem for the sake of the Passover and the Pentecost. We're not going to go through all of those names once again, but what's the takeaway? If we're going to talk about the temporary, what are the things things that we're taking away? Tongues will cease. Tongues were for a particular time. You look in the book of Romans, it's not mentioned. It's mentioned in the book of 1 Corinthians. Ephesians, not mentioned, and so on and so forth. It's not mentioned. God does not intend for us to think that somehow we are missing something. What are we supposed to take away from this? Number one, don't fall in love with the temporary. Now we can talk about this theologically with the gift of tongues, but also let's talk about this just for a second in our own lives. God wants us to grow. And so many times the reason why we're struggling in our Christian lives is because, listen, we become in love with yesterday. Acts chapter 2 happened. It's church history. But it happened for a reason. And there are some important things that we're supposed to grasp and move on. My friend, the same is true in your life. You realize that The Bible does not spend a lot of time going through your past and trying to decipher everything. You know what it talks a lot about? Who Jesus is, who you are in Christ, what you can do today, and go forward for Christ in victory. Satan loves to have Christians constantly putting their hand to the plow and following Christ and looking back. What's back there? Friend, what is back there? Your past is back there. Let your past be your past. Let your past be your past. It's under the blood. It's been paid for. The negative, the wicked, the bad. Don't fall in love with the temporary. Sign gifts were temporary gifts of the Spirit used. Number two, God has given us the abiding presence of Christ in our lives as believers. He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are indwelt by the Spirit. Number three, God has given us his eternal word. The Spirit of God wrote for us the perfect word of God. This is something that we can hold on to day after day after day after day. When things are great, you have the word of God. When things are not so great, you have the word of God. Hold on to that which is eternal. Number four, God has given us the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. I may have forgotten one. Why are we so concerned about tongues? Why don't we talk about love, joy, peace and showing that to people? That's what we should be concerned about. Last thing, 
God has given us five eternal purposes. I just happen to have a poster right here. (gasps) You realize all of these things are found right here in the book of Acts? This is, listen, you realize tongues is not on here. The gift of healing is not on here. Thank God. Why? Because it's temporary. But these purposes, we can grab these, and this isn't just purpose for our church. This should be purpose for your life. What is the purpose for your life? If, you should, if, if I came to you and said the mission statement for your life, oh, to be happy, ah, that's shallow. Boy, you can, you can get yourself in a, tied up in knots trying to chase happiness. A lot of people try. What about evangelism? Telling other people about Christ. You realize the kind of the depth of purpose that gives your life? Worship. Didn't you enjoy the worship that we had? Man, it was awesome. Worshiping the Lord. Fellowship. Miss Eden was talking about fellowship in the first service and how, how awesome it is for us to be able to connect with other believers. Serving others. We talk about volunteering and do, in a secular sense. What about, what about in a spiritual, eternal sense? Serving the Lord as we serve others. Wow. Discipleship. Training to be a dedicated follower of Christ. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.